Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all you shining stars. Let the all praise the name of the Lord. For God commanded they were created. God established them forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Holy God, we praise you for all of the wonders you have worked. And yet, despite your greatness, you remain near us. We are the beneficiaries of grace upon grace. And so we thank you in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and welcome to this service of worship. That welcome is free and clear and includes everyone without qualification. You are truly welcome here. If you are worshiping with us through uh, our video means, welcome also. Please sign the friendship pads in the pews, both here physically in the sanctuary and also online. Uh, and then uh, those of you who are here, join us for a fellowship hour through these doors to my right, down the ramp, through the double doors in the Buttonwood Hall where the deacons have prepared coffee and a few other things for you. Uh, the office will be closed on Monday. They are big party people, all right? So they are, they're gonna stay home. Uh, just put an ice bag on it and they'll get to you on Tuesday. Uh, please check out our website for all of the announcements. Uh, I just want to raise up a few. There are plenty of volunteer opportunities uh, as it comes in the new year. This is a great opportunity for you to assuage the guilt you feel for not having done anything last year about your new, year, your new Year's resolution to volunteer more. We dispense you. Please volunteer more this year. Uh, there are lots of peer group meetings. Please go through, pick out the ones you feel called to. That's the one you want. Uh, and there are also education announcements, uh, including childhood education and adult education. Uh, celebration, our 9 a.m. worship service returns next week. It is, uh, is child-friendly and communion is served every week. So we invite you, if you wish, to the celebration service too. With, uh, that is enough of the announcements for today. Let us continue our worship together with our prayer of confession. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us. Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we need not fear confession, but simply draw to our maker in candor, first together, and then in silence. Holy God, Emmanuel, as we turn to the new year, we give you thanks for all the ways you have made yourself known to us. We thank you for the people who come to cover us, the communities that have cared for us, and all the ways you have stretched us and stirred us awake. We admit that in the business of our everyday lives, it is easy for us to forget you and forget others. We admit that we could easily choose bitterness and resentfulness over compassion and gratitude. We admit that we too often wash our hands of societal problems that are our responsibility to address. Forgive us for the harm we have caused to you, your people, and your earth. Help us zoom out and see the larger love that covers our lives as we continue to pray.
the saying is true and worthy of full acceptance that Christ died to save sinners. Brothers and sisters, believe the promise of the gospel. The Old Testament lesson comes from Isaiah chapter 31, verses 10 through chapter 62, verse 3. Here Isaiah is speaking of restoration. Listen for the word of God. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as the garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. We continue our reading with the epistle lesson taken from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Here, Paul is writing to the Galatians about how Christ brings believers into their inheritance as adopted children of God. Again, listen for God's word to us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, do you, you are, so you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. gospel lesson for this morning is taken from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, going through verse 40. The parents of Jesus present the newborn child in the temple in Jerusalem, and sayings are told about him that leave them amazed. After eight days had passed since birth. It was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, This child, is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and speaking about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, while they had finished everything required, by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Theme of our
please be seated. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, you present yourself to us each day. Now present yourself to our minds, to our ears, to our souls, that you might take up residence with us once again. Amen. The theme of our meditation this morning is one day at a time. One day at a time. The text taken from Luke 2, verse 40. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. There is a lot about the, the activity of God in, among God's people, even God in the world, where everything is hidden in plain sight. God is plainly at work, but nowhere to be seen. Busy everywhere bringing things about, but nowhere to be pointed to. This is something of the mystery of the Almighty. All of the action in the first two chapters of Luke are carried out not even by the major characters of the main text of Luke, but by secondary characters. Except for John the Baptist, Mary, and Jesus, no one is mentioned in these pages ever again. And two out of the three who are in these scenes have non-speaking roles. They are infants. They are carried in by their parents, and they are carried out as the scene closes. After the trips to Bethlehem and Jerusalem with angels and shepherds and priests and governors, the most significant action can report at the end of all of this preparation is everybody went home. Grant you there is a great deal said about John and Jesus in these chapters, and a great deal is said about God. But we don't hear from them directly. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit like Elijah. He will turn the people's hearts from their ways and prepare a new way for the Lord through the wilderness like Elijah. Jesus, he will be called Son of the Most High. He will be royal. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever, called holy and even the son of God. But not just now. God is personally intervening in the course of human history, an astonishing thing to contemplate. God, maker of heaven and earth, does not sit idly by, indifferent to our plight, but actively intervenes, invades our space, in order to begin a unique and a utterly astonishing transformation. He's going to rescue the poor. He's going to feed the hungry. He's going to administer justice, bring reconciliation and salvation, and not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles too. The covenant of Israel has been broken open, spread wide, so that those who were included before still are included, but now all those who were excluded are brought in as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters, all as the adopted children of God, as Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, which the commentators say is the nut, the core of his entire letter. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. Luke, here in chapter 2, underscores that Jesus is emphatically born of a woman. He is truly human in every way that we are. And also that he is born under the law. He is truly an Israelite, and everything we have heard today confirms that. His parents make sure 
he is always kept in conformity to what the law requires. And this is not a burden for them. It is a joy that they can celebrate the covenant God has made with Israel by answering God's yes with their yes. But nothing more happens now. Joseph and Mary carried the baby in, and Joseph and Mary carry the baby out. And they just go home. I think underneath this is a contrast between the way the Bible treats our history and the way the Greeks, at least in their mythology, treat the interaction of divinity and humanity. The first takeaway we might make, and this is not obvious, that in the ancient world, gods and heroes usually do not have childhood. Athena was not born an infant and grew up. She sprang full-grown from the brow of Zeus. They usually enter the narrative fully mature, completely able. They are already perfect. They have no need, maybe even no ability to develop. (coughs) Develop from what into what? They are already perfect. They do not change. They are already immortal. What more can they grow into? They are untouched by time. They live always and exactly where they are. They have no homes. Olympus was a gathering place for the gods, but there was no garden in the back where you could raise some green peppers. There was no hominess to that place. It was a place of assembly. It was not a residence. The gods of the ancient were never at home on earth where we live or even wanted to be. The whole point of being divine is you can go down and muck with the mortals for a while. But then you shed that and return to paradise. Contrast that with the biblical understanding of how divinity and humanity mingle and interact. Now God alone is God and lives outside of our space and our time. And humanity makes its home on earth as God's creatures, and humanity is born in time. There was a time when we were not. And there will come a time when we will no longer be. And while we live, we grow. We develop. We gain abilities and skills and wisdom. We advance among our fellow human beings, and we walk with God in time as creatures. We grow more able, we grow more old, and then we die. These are the constraints of our humanity. This is how it works in our flesh. When you take on this flesh, that's what happens to you. We cannot escape our humanity. We cannot abandon it. The key takeaway here, Jesus, like the rest of us, here in this Testament is pointed to as one who now has a childhood. He had an infancy. He had a birth, an infancy, a childhood. He had to grow up. He acquired his humanity in the same way that we do, one day at a time. Paul wants to say he was born of a woman. That is to say, yes, he was truly human. And born under the law, he was under an obligation of obedience to God. Same as we are. Luke is careful in these paragraphs here not to depict the be- even the baby Jesus as human in general. Sort of generically protoplasm sharing some chromosomes with us. With no specific distinction. The opposite is true. He is born an Israelite. He is born in Bethlehem. 
He is raised in a devout Jewish household in Nazareth. We know where these places are. We can find them on maps. We know his parents' names and his hometown. And we know his mother tongue, as they would say, Aramaic. It is still spoken in some regions. And he learned Hebrew well so he could read his people's holy scriptures as the time came. But that was a skill he acquired one day at a time. His parents and his community raised him to be a child of the covenant with God in solidarity with his people and in solidarity with God. Luke takes care to show us he was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He is presented in the temple on the 40th day according to the law. None of this comes easily or quickly. He acquires his biblical literacy, his piety, his wisdom, the same way we would one day at a time. When Jesus returns to Nazareth as an adult and goes to the, temp to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they bring him a scroll, they open the scroll, and he begins to read from the prophet Isaiah. In the way he learned how to do, this was not some magic, no ESP, no conjuring trick, no astonishing ability suddenly implanted into his brain. He learned it the hard way, the way some of us had to learn it, with flashcards and badly pronounced jumble. If we got our mouths and our tongues around these strange words, which we had to read backwards. And while gods and heroes have no childhood, Jesus had one that was so typical of his time and place that it was more unremarkable than remarkable. I account for the gap between these stories of his infancy and one story in his boyhood, which we'll get to, with long periods of silence because there was nothing more to be said. You want to know what happened to him? Look at any kid growing up in a small town in a small place under the careful and watchful supervision of everybody else in town. He worshipped Israel's God. He attended the festivals. He read the weekly readings when he was able. He kept the Passover every year. He studied the law, and he prayed fervently. One measure of his trust in God and his devotion to God's promise was that just like Simeon and Anna, this is important, he could wait. He was patient. He knew things take time. If they are worth doing, they are worth learning and learning rightly. Their reverence for the will of God meant also to wait upon God until the right time. And that time was the time of God's own choosing, not ours. Patience. All of this, the more we explore it, is an utter contrast to the way we wear our humanity, and we're the human beings who are supposed to know how this goes. We, in our humanity, are frankly strangers in our own skin. Can we truly claim that we are at home in our lives, good as they can be? Can we look at each concrete particularity that describes us and limits us hour by hour and day by day and declare that we fit our lives well, that we are genuinely growing, becoming stronger in spirit, if not in body, gaining in wisdom, and seeking the favor of God in all that we do. Simple summary of what Luke says of Jesus. Can we claim that? Or rather, do we not feel the passage of our time with frustration and regret? Are not our days marked with an endless cycle of hurry up and wait? Are not our calendars filled not with opportunity but missed opportunities, passed up chances, invitations that went unanswered? 
Our impatience with the speed with which time passes tells us that our past was unsatisfactory. We're trying to get away with things. Our present is empty of meaningful accomplishment. We're trying to escape it. And our future, well, our future are filled with anxiety and foreboding because it may be just more of the same. We are like children wishing each day away in anticipation of a tomorrow that when it gets here simply does not satisfy. So close to Christmas morning when the kids went running down there and pulled up all the paper and looked at what they got, how long did that satisfaction last? If you got to dinner, you were a happy parent. It's not because they're bad kids. It's not because somehow you did something wrong as a bad parent. It is just the way our humanity deals with its frustration. Rather than greeting each new day as a new chance for wonder, we merely endure the hours. We find our past so guilty, our present so painful, our future so bleak, that rather than being at home in our bodies and at home in our families and at home in our communities and our world, we dream of escape or release. Actually, we are forced to confess. We don't want to live our lives as God has given them to us in the present, one day at a time. We chafe at all of these limitations and we grieve that we cannot go back and restart, reboot. Let's do it over again. I learned something the last time. I'll, I'll get it right this time, as if Groundhog Day was not a parable about the way we actually live our lives. Luke wants us to look at boy Jesus through the eyes of those surround him. Luke wishes us to see Jesus even as a child at home in his humanity and at home with his God. Luke includes one more story of this boy in the temple in this chapter. You probably know it. When Jesus was 12, his parents took him up to Jerusalem as they did every year for the Passover feast and he got separated in the crowd. His parents discovered about two days on the way home that he was not with them. You say, are they bad parents? No, it was a big crowd. And like, like I say, every, it takes a village to raise a kid. They assumed the village was raising the kid. No. Back to Jerusalem, frantically racing around. And after three days, they find Jesus in the temple. And the boy is genuinely surprised when they, that they did not come to the temple first. Why did you spend three days looking? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Doesn't everybody want to be in my father's house? Comfortable in his own life. Comfortable in his confidence in God. Comfortable with the humanity that he enjoyed under the covenant that the prophets spoke of, that the law described, that his prayer confirmed. Jesus is at home in his humanity and nevertheless he is completely at home with God. There's no tension in this relationship. We want to be comfortable with God all the time. Most of the time, we are not. And that time of comfort we do get, we have to work at it. We really have to work at it. Jesus, and this is not miraculous, this is simply who he was, felt no tension in that relationship. He trusts completely in God the creator of time and creator of humanity, and can therefore live in his time without anxiety or distress. Now, he has no interest in wasting time. 
Rather, he fills his time, using his time to increase in wisdom in every human way, right here in the temple where he is asking them questions and listening and commenting and asking again, acting with deliberation on what he has heard day by day, one day at a time. Does he get it right the first time? Maybe not. But that's not sin. That's just trial and error. There's always another day. And because he is at home with God, he is free to be at home with his wife. He is free to take the time humbly to mature, to become human in all our richness. He can assimilate wisdom and compassion in a father. It's not a pose. It is truly his own wisdom his own compassion, his own authority, because he is not just wearing it like a costume. He has lived into it until it is his. It is cut, as it were, into his flesh. And so he can be perfectly obedient to God's law without feeling jealousy or resentment or fear. He can be fully responsible as a human, answerable to God for all of his behavior, and even answerable to God for all of our behavior. But that's a sermon for another time. <laughs> Happy New Year. That you don't need to answer. But tonight, we will spend a lot of time marking the passage of time. May we not waste time with pointless regret or recrimination. Yeah, let your hair down and enjoy the party. May we welcome the time we have remaining by affirming the goodness of time itself. It is our home. It is too precious to waste. We could confess candidly that if we have lived in evil times, we contributed to that evil. May we use our time to grow more humane, to seek the truth, to love justice, to learn humility, to make beauty, to pursue holiness, to listen more than we speak. And may we hallow our time by acknowledging that every moment is a gift from God, the Lord of time, the one who pledges always to be with us so that we are never alone in our moments, in our hours, in our days, and who promises the fulfillment of our time with God in eternity. So God grant us all the faith, hope, and love we need each day to live with you one day at a time.
Let us affirm our faith together by saying a portion from the Westminster Confession of Faith, printed in the bulletin. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did when the fullness of time was come, take upon him human nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her so that two whole perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the human, were inseparable and together in one person, without composition or confusion. Which person is very God and very human, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humankind? Remembering that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, let us return to God the gift of what we have taken from God's abundance and the prayers of our hearts with our morning offering, remembering that God loves a cheerful giver. Our offering will now be received.
gracious and bountiful God, we make these gifts to you because you first gifted yourself to us in Jesus Christ. Now prepare us as worthy offerings ourselves, that we might be holy, dedicated, truly worthy of your power. We ask all these things through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. These are the words of the psalmist. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the good in the whole congregation. Great are the deeds of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. God sent redemption to God's people. God decreed that God's covenant would always endure. Holy is God's name, inspiring all. Truly the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And they that live by it grow in understanding. Praise will be to God forever. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, from the beginning you have willed to be at one with us, and in the fullness of time you did become one with us in Jesus Christ. In him, your eternity entered into world history to give meaning and direction to our history. In him, everlasting life entered into the world of death and decay in order to bring to us healing, health, and the promise of resurrection. In him, your eternal justice entered into our world of treachery, exploitation, violence, and betrayal, in order to make peace and to bring about the final reconciliation of all hostilities at the wedding of a new heaven and a new earth. Even now, in Holy Spirit, you desire to be at one with us and with all your creation to continue the work of your birth in our lives and in our world. And in the Holy Spirit, you continue to invite us to take up our places in your work as your gifts to us allow. We confess on the eve of a new year that we have not always responded to your will. We have ignored the need which surrounds us, kept for ourselves the gifts which you have given to us to share, we have excused ourselves from every obligation you have presented to us when it has been inconvenient or expensive or too difficult or too risky. We therefore pray on the eve of a new year for your spirit of renewal. We pray for the renewal of our personal lives we pray for the renewal of our community. We pray for the renewal of our nation. We pray for the continued renewal of your world. And as always, we pray for the renewal of your church. Where we are cold, revive us. Where we are complacent, arouse us. Where we are unfaithful, correct us. Where we are vain and proud, make us humble. Where we are smug, show us our duty. When we proclaim the good news of your love, when we do what you have commanded of us, and when we teach others by our lives and our example what you desire of all your children, Lord, add your richness to our richness and turn all our efforts your glory. Merciful and ever gracious God, sovereign Lord of time and keeper of all our coming years, in Jesus Christ you have made all things new. You made of us new creatures in him. 
Yet we plod on in our old habits as if your birth among us changed nothing, as if your death for us changed nothing, as if your call to us made no difference in our lives. So, Lord of renewal, renew us one day at a time. Grant us the resolve we need to change. Grant us the faith, hope, and love we need each day to make the changes which will endure. We pray all these things and more in the name and at the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and love of God be with you all now and all time forward. Amen. <laughs>